If you have a copy where we're going to be this morning, uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. So it's going to be near the end of that long letter. Uh, and We haven't been in it in a while. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and find that in your copy of the scriptures, we'll get to that here in just uh, a few minutes. But I wanted to uh, say a special welcome to you if you're a guest with us this morning. Got to meet some of you. I saw some faces I don't know that I didn't get to say hello to you. Um, but on behalf of our whole church, I want to say thanks for worshiping with us this morning and I'll let you know that we've been praying for you and, and we trust that the Lord will meet with you this morning and maybe that he already has, that he would use something that is sung or said or read or, or preached uh, to minister to you. If you live here locally and you'd be interested in knowing more about our church or even more importantly, knowing more about our Savior, uh, we would love to know who you are and start that process of talking, getting to know you. Uh, one way you could do that would be to fill out a what we call a connection card. You could do it digitally, follow that QR code, or it's on the back of your program. You could follow that as well. Uh, or you could just fill it out old school on that actual program on the back and take it with you out into the lobby uh, when you leave this morning. And to the left out there, there's a counter. Uh, some folks will be there who'd love to receive that, talk to you for a bit, even give you a little gift uh, from our church. But uh, we're grateful that you're here with us. Uh, one thing we do once a month, if this is of interest to you, next Sunday, uh, we, we we take a break during the summer, but we're starting it back up with school. Uh, next Sunday night at 6, uh, the same time youth group's going to be re restarting, uh, we have what we call coffee with the pastors. We just have some desserts and coffee uh, that's at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll have decaf too, if that's helpful to some of you. Uh, but uh, it's a chance for pastors to get to meet you, you to get to meet us, share some about our church, answer questions you may have, uh, things like that. So you don't have to sign up, you just show up, but it's at 6 o'clock next Sunday. Sunday uh, over on this side of the building. Um other thing before we turn to the text, just a thank you as always for your generosity as individuals and as families, as couples. Uh, thank you for your generosity in our church fund. Uh, we started a new fiscal year last or two weeks ago, so we're brand new into that. So we appreciate your help in trying to start strong in funding of our mission here in our community and reaching the nations uh, all over the world. But uh, trust that you have found Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking at one verse of this uh, chapter and of this letter here in moment, but I wanted to frame some of why this verse. Uh, we usually go through books of the Bible. A couple weeks from now, we're going to start the book of Genesis, actually, and take a whole school year uh, to go through a good chunk of Genesis, uh, but we're doing a, a, something a bit different, and so I wanted to frame why we're doing this. Um, but I, w I wanted to start, actually, even before that, this way. I want to say a simple sentence that some of you may disagree with, but I think is true, uh, and it's going to be what I think this text teaches us and what I would want to convey to you this morning, and that's this, if, that if you're a Christian, which I know many of us in the room would claim to be, if you are a Christian, I would say this to you, that God wants you to be a counselor. God wants you to be a counselor. Uh, and I, I would say that to every Christian in the room. And some of you may kind of bristle at that and think, counselor, no way. Like, I, I could never do that. Uh, you would be glad to serve a million other ways and think, I could easily do that. Ask me to uh, serve coffee. Ask me to greet people. Ask me to play music. Ask me to maybe even teach. Ask me to care for infants in the nursery. Ask me to prepare meals. Ask me to host people in my home, ask me to help pull weeds. You would, you'd be glad to do all of those things. But if I asked you to counsel someone, said, hey, they have some issues, I'd like you to be able to sit down with them and try to talk to them. I think a lot of you, and I used to think this way, would think that's too big of a task for me. Like that's above my pay grade. That's just for a special set of Christians uh, that, that can actually do counseling. That is not for me. And that's not something that every Christian needs to do or maybe even can do. Uh, but today I want to try to convince you from this text that if you're a Christian, God intends for you to counsel fellow Christians. That is part of what you are supposed to do as a Christian. And so uh, the reason we're going to come to this text and talk about counseling each other, even in the context of a church, is this. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you've heard this. Um, but we are trying to uh, retool, kind of reformat how we do groups as a church family. Uh, for years, we've had what we call life groups. And we're trying, as we come into the fall, to, uh, to begin calling them community groups, but not just 
change the name, but actually clarify the purpose of them and why, why we do them and what we're even trying to do with these groups. And so we've sent out some communications. If you're on our church email list, you probably got an email within the last week or so uh, about some of that, that detailed some of that. And one thing to flag looking forward, even starting next Sunday, we're going to have opportunity for all of you uh, to either, if you're already part of a group, to express to us, hey, I'd like to re-up. I want to keep being a part of a group in this new format. Or maybe some of you, if you haven't been part of a group, it'll be an opportunity for you to say, yes, sign me up. Like, I'm convinced from the scriptures I need this and that this is an important part of my life. So help me learn how I can actually be part of one of these groups. That'll start up next Sunday and you'll have some time uh, to contemplate that and let us know that. Uh, But how we're retooling these groups, it's not rocket science. What we've said is that the purpose of these groups, and you'll see how counseling fits into this, the purpose of these groups, these community groups that we're trying to, to retool and, re, and re, uh, relaunch, it's gonna, we're going to state this way. It's that they're to provide a consistent context in which members can personally stir each other up in faith and spur each other on in obedience to Christ. That's kind of going to be the overarching purpose of what these groups are. They're not just to hang out. Uh, they're not uh, to do a myriad of other things that could be good, but those are the things that we're seeking to do. And we've, we've taken four Sundays on purpose because there's four, we're in the third one uh, today, four Sundays to give some biblical texts and sermons about what Christian community looks like and how it should flesh out because we're shifting away from having uh, these groups have a curriculum to work through or think of them as like a systematic study through a passage of the Bible. But we've said we want there to be four things that group members come ready to potentially share at least one of these each time they gather. And we've talked about the first two already, the last two Sundays, were that we hope group members can come often with a celebration to share, a way to share an evidence of God's grace in their life or in others' lives that week. Uh, the second thing we talked about last Sunday was uh, that we want group members to come ready sometimes with a care to unburden. Uh, it's something that's weighing them down, pressing them down. We looked at Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 last Sunday about a mutual bearing of burdens for one another. But this Sunday, uh, and we're going to save the hardest one till next Sunday, is going to be confession. Uh, but this third Sunday, what we're going to talk about that we want to see group members do for each other is that we want them ready sometimes to come with counsel to seek. That there's something going on in your life. There's some situation, some trial, something that you need Christian counsel. You need biblical counsel from fellow Christians. And a pastor is not always going to be in your group. And there's not going to always be a professional counselor in your group. But we want you to feel confident to be able to come to these brothers and sisters and say, this is a situation, this is something I'm dealing with in my soul. Can you all give counsel to me? And we want that to be a, a real part of what we do together as Christian community. And so this text is going to speak directly to that. I think it'll challenge some of the assumptions we have about who can counsel, who should counsel. And as I said, I think, I hope it'll convince you if you're a Christian and if you're in one of these groups in particular, that you have a responsibility and a privilege to actually help counsel other Christians, to give biblical input to them in their life. And so this letter, Romans, we've, we have not been in it for a long time, uh, but it was written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the letters of the New Testament, and he's writing it to the church at Rome. Uh, this is getting near the end of the letter. He's kind of starting, if you've been on a plane and you start the descent down to land, he's kind of at that stage where he's kind of tipped the nose down and starting to, to slowly descend and he's sharing some more personal things with this church. This is kind of the start of that. And Paul had never actually visited this church. He didn't know most of the people that were part of it. You can pick that up from early on. But he had heard of them by reputation. And he wants to commend them about a few things before he closes his letter. You're going to see three things that he commends them about. And the third one's going to have a lot to do with counseling. Actually, all of them are going to have to do with counseling and their relationship with each other. So I'm going to read this short verse, and then we'll take the rest of our time to unpack it and what he's saying to them and what the Spirit is saying to us through this text. So the Apostle Paul Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he continues his letter to the Romans this way, in Romans 15, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, 
that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word. I want to summarize this, and this is, this is very straightforward, but summarize this uh, text this way in the message this morning would be this, is that Christian community should be marked by the mutual provision of biblical counsel to one another. That's kind of redundant, but uh, that, that the community should be marked by mutual provision of biblical counsel to one another. That should be part of Christian community. And so you see in this text, like I mentioned, that Paul commends them for three things, right? Uh, he, he's telling them these things he knows to be true about them and that he thinks are, are good things in them. He says that he's satisfied, he's persuaded about these things that he's heard about these Christians. And we'll, we'll review each of these. But he says that they're full of goodness, right? He says they are filled with all knowledge. And then the last thing he says is that they are able to instruct one another. And I would suggest to you that those first two of the three are what make the third one possible. Uh, that, that they are full of goodness, that they're filled with knowledge, and I think he could even say, and thus you are able to instruct one another. Right? I think that's the logic of what he's saying, that, that you're full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge, so you're able to instruct one another. And so I want to actually, as I'm going to use each of those phrases to give us the headings of today's message, uh, but I actually want to start with the third one uh, that he commended them on, their ability to instruct one another. And I want to explain that under this, head, this simple heading, that they have a capability to counsel. That this church and all the people in it, and I would suggest all the Christians in our church, uh, have a capability to counsel. And so Paul says here to these Christians in Rome, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, that you yourselves, dot, 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 are able to instruct one another. It's a very simple statement, right? Uh, the, to instruct uh, is more, we hear that word and sometimes we just think of like a classroom that I'm teaching you information, like it's just a, a teacher to a student. That word has, uh, it can mean that, but it has more of a broad meaning of like counsel, that you're able to admonish or encourage, uh, build up each other, that sort of idea, that you're able to instruct one another in a counseling sort of way. And he says very matter-of-factly, you are able to do that to each other. You're capable of that. You, this is not beneath you or not above you. You are not beneath it. You are capable of doing that, of actually teaching, actually counseling each other as brothers and sisters. And I appreciate the word yourselves in this verse. You may have just read right past that, but he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are able to instruct one another. I could imagine him kind of anticipating when he writes this sentence, them being like we would be, like, like me? Like, you think I'm actually able? Do you think, we're like, we're able to counsel each other, that we're, we're not apostles, we're not elders, we're not pastors, whatever, we're not fill in the blank. Like, you think we can counsel each other. And it's like he's trying to jump the gun and say, I'm satisfied that, yes, you yourselves are able to instruct each other, that you're capable of doing that. And I don't think Paul was just flattering them. I think he truly believed that. He wouldn't just say that. Even you read the beginning of the letter, if you look at chapter 1, he tells them that he hopes to come visit them. And he's confident, he says, that if I come to you, like you'll be an encouragement to me and I'll be an encouragement to you. And I, he was sincere in that. These Christians who, who were not apostles, who were not elders even most of them, like he says, I'm confident your faith will build me up as someone who's met the resurrected Jesus. Like he had confidence that Christians can encourage and instruct each other in every direction. It's not just one-way streets. Like that, that, that traffic goes both ways when it comes to counseling. Uh, my family and I went on the Dixie Boat cruise last night uh, out at Webster, uh, and we had an interesting thing happen to us that kind of illustrates this. We got into, I don't know much about lakes. I don't even know if this is the right terminology. But they took us into kind of this little bay area of Webster, and uh, this big, historic, like almost 100-year boat that everybody's like impressed by and whatnot, it got actually, because of how our captain steered it, it got stuck 
like in the muck would be what I would call it. Like it got too shallow. He had to shut off the motor. Uh, and so you have this big historic boat, this wonderful people pay to ride on it, all sorts of stuff gets stuck. And then this little pontoon boat of a guy who was right nearby just comes right over and he is like super eager to help. I don't know what all his motivations were, but uh, which if he's here today, thank you, brother. Uh, but uh, he jumps up, he's like ready, eager to help. Uh, and this little pontoon boat like hooks up onto this big famous boat and it turns and, and turns his motor on and pulls us back with like 100 30 people on it, whatever, like pulls us back out to the deeper water and then we're able to go on our journey and continue the tour. And I just thought that's a perfect example coming to today's passage of there's like little boats can pull boats that other people think are impressive. Like impressive boats can get stuck and little boats can help them get unstuck, right? Uh, and people may know the Dixie boat, they will never know this gentleman's boat. But the same is true like with fellow Christians. Like just because there's, the Apostle Paul could get stuck, right? And some no-name Roman Christian could have said something to him that could have helped him get unstuck and help him go back to the deeper waters of faith, right? And the gospel. And any of us are capable of encouraging and instructing and counseling fellow Christians, there's a counselor named Ed Welch who wrote this and it struck me this week. He was talking about the difference between the old covenant law and the era we are in as Christians of the new covenant. And this was one of the things that he said. He said this. And when you hear the word lay, by the way, like lay people would be like non-clergy, non-pastors, uh, which is the vast majority of Christians. He said this. Lay ministry is an extraordinary happening no longer do people need a special, though temporary, anointing to offer a prophetic word of direction and wisdom. Now we are part of the new covenant in which the Spirit has been given to all who have put their faith in Jesus. And then he said this, lay ministry is one of the premier blessings of Pentecost. I love that. Pentecost was when the Spirit of God came upon uh, those disciples there in Jerusalem in this new era, the church age began. And he's saying one of the main features of that is lay ministry. Every Christian uh, is able to minister to one another. They don't have to wait for an apostle to come and minister to them. They can speak encouragement and counsel to one another. And this is just one of the many reasons I'm grateful for what people have called the biblical counseling movement over the last several decades. And I know there's nuance to it. I know it's even been controversial in our town and at Grace College. I'm not trying to comment on all of the goings-on of that movement. But I'm grateful for it because it has tried to help restore to average Christians like us. We actually are capable to instruct each other. Like we're actually capable to counsel each other and we don't have to have just only professional certified counselors to do that. And don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. I have seen a professional counselor. I have benefited from seeing professional counsel. I am not in any way undermining that or saying we don't need that. But what I'm trying to suggest from this text is that uh, that is not the only type of counsel that is good and healthy and fitting. Like that lay people, all Christians, have a capacity to counsel each other. But some of you may read this text, and if you're a careful observer, you may think, well, he really only technically says we're able to do it. He doesn't say we have to do it, right? And I'm trying to convince you, you have to do it. <laughs> like that you, so there's a lot of stuff you're able to do that you don't want to do and you don't really have to do, right? If this text was all we had, I would agree with you that, yeah, you're capable of it. You don't have to do it. Thankfully, God has given us a whole host of other letters and texts, right? And one I want to point you to that talks about not just the ability and capacity you have to counsel, but the responsibility you have to do it is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The same man who wrote this, Romans 15, wrote to this other church at Colossae, and he wrote this to them. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So that's this command. Let, and we'll talk about it more in a few minutes. But let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then what does he say? Like, as you're doing that, you should be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 
singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, as an aside, thank you to all our musicians uh, for how you lead us. Singing is a form of counseling, whether you realize we just did like a group counseling session uh, and singing, uh, that it's one of the ways we counsel each other. But even before he mentions singing, he just says, matter of factly, as the word of Christ dwells in you, and that's a command that he makes to them, one of the ways that should happen is that you are teaching and admonishing each other with it. Like that is a command, it's part of the command that he's giving to them. And so counseling, giving counsel to fellow Christians, is not just something you could do, it's something you should do if you're a Christian, uh, that, that you have a responsibility, not just a capability to give counsel and so, uh, that's point number one. It's the, the key point of this text is he tells them that they are able to instruct one another. They have a capacity. Every Christian in that church, every Christian in this church has a capacity, a capability to counsel. But what I would want to encourage you with this text to do is not forget the first half of it, the dot, 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 when I, I said that earlier, that there are two other things he commends them for that I think actually make them better counselors that actually make them get able to give healthy, godly, good, beneficial counsel uh, to fellow Christians. And so those, the two things that he says are that they are uh, full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. And so I want to take those one by one for the other two points of today's message. Um, because not just any old approach will do, right? We just don't wing it. Like when we're thinking of, of giving counsel to fellow Christians, there's actual healthy, right ways to do it. There's things that should be true of us if we're going to be healthy counsel. And what I want to say for the second heading, I, I'll call it this, is character to counsel, that our character as a person, as a Christian, is important to our ability to counsel fellow Christians. It doesn't mean we need to be perfect. It doesn't need, mean that we need to be this perfectly sanctified Christian. But know what he says to them. He says, you yourselves, I'm persuaded of it, I'm satisfied of it, that you yourselves are full of goodness that's not just a throwaway phrase. He says you are full of goodness. Uh, goodness, if that sounds familiar to you and things Paul wrote, if you ever learned like a song about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, where Paul wrote in Galatians 6 some examples of what the fruit of the, Sp the Holy Spirit are in a person's life when he's at work, one of the things he said is true of a Christian when the Spirit is at work in their life is there will be goodness. Uh, there will be this goodness in their life, this goodness about them. And it, it's a general term that just means like what one commentator called a moral or spiritual excellence like a moral excellence. It's not just that you have been made righteous, declared righteous before God, but there's actually a goodness that the Spirit is working in you character-wise and ethically and morally now. He's changing you as a person, right? The verse right before this, what would have just been ringing in their ears right before they heard this verse read, verse 13, he's reminding them that they have the power of the Holy Spirit in them as individuals and amongst them, that that member of the Trinity is at work. He's dwelling within them individually and collectively, right? Go back to Romans chapter 8. It's some of the most glorious things Paul uh, ever wrote, I think, about the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christians and of the church. Like He, he wants them to know, man, you all are full of goodness. Like The Spirit of God is changing you. He's making you into good people, people who actually love one another, people who care for one another, people who have godly character, right? He, he's told them that earlier in the letter. And under this heading, I, I want to, to draw out this connection because he's connecting their goodness, they're full of goodness, and I think their ability to counsel. Those are connected. One strengthens the other. Like their goodness as people uh, enables them to be healthier, more effective counselors for one another. And I want to mention two things, that ways I think goodness plays out when it comes to giving counsel. And the, the two M words, one is motivation, 
for why you give counsel, and the other would be manner in which you give counsel. So motivation and manner. I think goodness comes out in both of those things. Uh, it is important when you think about giving counsel to someone, you're about to weigh in on something in their life, some sensitive, important thing in their life. It is important that you, part of having goodness is that you have the right motivation of why you're going to speak into it, that you're actually for them, that you're actually trying, you're not trying to just show off what you know. Like, oh, that made me think of a Bible verse I memorized back in sword drill when I was a kid. Like, whatever, like where I was state champion. Let me, let me bust that out for you. Like, uh, that you have a genuine interest of that person's mind. That's part of goodness, is that you love this person. You are for them. You're thinking, how is this going to land on them? Like, not just is it true, but how is this going to land on them? How is it going to impact them? You have to resist a temptation, for some of us, a temptation to pride when you share, to show off. For others, uh, it may be that you have to, in goodness, have to resist temptation to be impatient or frustrated. Like, man, we talked about this last week. Like, why are you asking about this again? Like, why do I need to give input to you again? We already told you this. Uh, that is not goodness, right? Goodness, is, it fleshes out in all sorts of ways. But one other thing that's important when it comes to motivation that I think goodness, a way goodness will flesh out, is that on the other end of the spectrum, some of us have to resist the temptation to fear man. Like sometimes people ask something and we know, man, she needs to hear something very hard. Or he needs to hear something that's really going to be tough for him to swallow. And we think goodness just always means biting our tongue. Like that goodness always means like restraint and not speaking hard things. So for some of us, goodness has to flesh out and a willing to actually say hard things, a, a willingness to actually ask hard questions or to challenge some of their assumptions or their behaviors. And so we have to have a right motivation. Goodness is going to come out and why am I trying to speak into this? What, is, what am I trying to actually accomplish, Right? But another way goodness fleshes out is in the manner of how we speak it, how we, uh, how we deliver this, how we engage with this person. Men, I think we can be particularly guilty of this. And I picked on us last week too. If you've only heard these two sermons, I'm not like a, a man hater. I don't always just berate us. Uh, but I think sometimes when we hear somebody asking for counsel, we're just like, oh, I got a solution. Boom, here it is. Like, this is what you need to do. And we, we don't think at all about asking questions or like, oh, like, how does that feel? Or why do you think that? Or what has led up to that? Or can you tell me more about that? There's certain things, where, uh, ways that goodness will show itself just in the manner of how we dialogue with people. That we're actually patient in asking questions and trying to understand the situation, trying to really get a thorough, accurate knowledge of the situation that they're wanting input on, right? Proverbs 18.13 says this, that if someone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Like, we, we need to actually hear people, hear, try to hear fully, truly what's happening, what's going on in their life, right? There's a wonderful book, uh, I know some of you have read it, it's about counsel and counseling, not just formal counseling, but counseling each other. It's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. It's by a, a man named Paul David Tripp. He breaks down the counseling process that could happen in a formal setting or that could happen just individually with somebody. He breaks it into four steps. And he, the first one was love. Like you actually have to love the person truly if you're going to give them healthy counsel. But the second one, I'll just say all four of them and then I'll backtrack. He said to love, know, like K-N-O-W, speak, then do. So to, to love, know, speak, and then do. Uh, sometimes we just jump to the do, like, hey, you need to do this. I'll do it with you. I'll help. And we just bypass the whole conversation leading up to it. But you have to be driven by love. That's part of goodness. But then part of how goodness expresses itself with a fellow Christian is that you seek to truly know what's going on. 
that you don't just assume, oh, I know this situation, easy. Piece of cake, I already know just from you. Tell me the little bit. I already know what you need to do. Here you go. You need to actually seek to ask questions, inquire with them, try to get an, an assessment of what's really going on in their heart. Try to trace it back to, man, what's going on inside of you? Tell me about what's going on out here. But tell me about what's going on in here, too. Like, what is going on in your heart? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are you tempted toward? And after that process, then you can speak into it better, right? Like, you can actually know, like, do I need to, or do we need to be firmer with this brother? Or do we need to have more of a, a, a tent of compassion in what we're sharing? Or do, does he mostly need just actual strategy and growth? Or are there core things that he's forgetting about God and about Jesus and about himself? Um, there's a passage uh, that I think is immensely helpful with regard to counseling. I think about it often. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, where the same apostle, he wrote to that church and he said, and here are the different ways he tells them to speak to each other. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So there's some overlap that every Christian you're dealing with, you need patience with. But then he's identifying there's different types of struggle people have and their complexities of life. And you need to speak to them differently. Like, uh, we're in a culture where we have specialists. Like, I, I just have learned, and this is no offense to medical professionals, but I feel like whenever we visit a specialist who specializes in something, they think that's our problem. Right? So like to them, like when all you have, the whole phrase, like when all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. Like that, that some of us, we just have like one way we think about problems and situations and we think, if that's my problem, that must be their problem. Whack! Like this is what you need to do. And we forget there's a diversity of struggles. There's all sorts of things that could be going on in this person's heart and mind. Just think of the difference between men and women. Like, if you're talking in a group setting, like, if you're a man listening to a woman share, at least consider she may be thinking and processing this stuff very differently from how you do, or vice versa, right? And let alone, like, our age differences and our ethnic differences and our economic difference. Like, we have all sorts of different ways that we're coming at problems. And part of showing goodness and it coming out and how we counsel isn't just in the actual content of what we say, but even in the process of learning this person and trying to discern what is going on uh, so I can actually speak into it. And so we need to think about uh, the, the, not just the capacity we have to counsel, but think of the character of ourselves as counselors. Like that, that there's healthy ways to go about conversation and unhealthy ways to go about conversation. And before I jump to the last point, I just wanted to flag this too. Um, if you hear this text today and you, you think, man, I'm supposed to instruct people, I'm supposed to counsel people, uh, and you're like eager to start doing that more and better, one thing that is important for you character-wise and every person here character-wise is that you be more eager to request counsel and heed counsel than you are to provide it. Right, Because sometimes we get on our high horse and we think, man, I'm called to do this. I think I can do this. Let me do it. Like, let me at it. I'm going to provide. And we miss the fact if you're going to be a good counselor, you need to be a healthy counselee first. Like, if there's a group member in your group who's just quick, oh, advice guy, boom, boom. Anything that comes up, he, he's going to share, he's going to share, or she's going to just immediately speak into this. And they're never asking for actual help themselves, that should be a red flag or a yellow flag at least. Like maybe there's something in your heart that we need to work on where you realize uh, that to be a healthy counselor yourself, you need to be a counselee first. So we need to think about the character of ourselves as counselors, why the, the motivation and the manner of how we deliver counsel. But, but I would say this, a lot of bad counsel is given with pure motives, Right? Like, you've been around situations like this. Like, you've maybe even done this or been a recipient of it, right? Where well-intentioned Christians can offer really bad advice, right? Just because we have the right manner of talking and we ask questions and just because we have the right motivation, like, I actually do want to help you, 
I actually do want you to grow in love of Jesus and obedience toward him. Just because those things are true doesn't mean the content of what they share then is just automatically, it's good and right. There's content of counsel as well. That'll be the, the last point from this text. The content of counsel is very important because he tells this church, right? He says that they are full of goodness, but then the other thing, the middle thing he says about them is that they are filled with all knowledge, filled with all knowledge. So when he says they are filled with it, it's kind of like this image of like a sail filled with wind or like a net full of fish, like filled, like full, full, uh, that they are filled with, he says, all knowledge. So what is he talking about? Like, what is the knowledge that they're filled with? What's the knowledge we should be filled with? Uh, I would say this. It's not just, like, trivia, right? Like, hey, you just know a bunch of stuff. Like, wonderful. You're filled with all knowledge, right? Or it's not just that they have a strong intellect, like they're experts in some field or something like that. What they are filled with knowledge-wise, you get hints if you just go back and read through this letter. Do a search of just how many times Paul says, we know blank in Romans. He says, we know a whole bunch of stuff. Like he says, we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. Chapter five. Chapter six, he says, they know a few things. They know, he says, that their old self was crucified with Christ so that they're no longer enslaved to sin. He said in that same chapter that they know that Christ has been raised from the dead, right? And that death has no dominion over him. Chapter 8 has some glorious things. Some of you know by heart. He says that they know that creation has been groaning, right? And that even we ourselves are groaning. And then the thing that is the most famous maybe line in all of Romans, Romans 8, 28, he said that they know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Right? Like that, these are the types of things he says they know. That's the type of knowledge that they're filled with are these truths about Jesus. These truths that they were, themselves were dead in sin, but that Jesus was crucified. And as he was crucified, that their old self was crucified with him, that their old self was put to death. And he says that they know that Jesus was raised. And as he was raised, so were they, as people who are united with them. So their old self is gone, their new self is alive. And he, they know that even as they head to the future, that God is working all things, even suffering for their good, right? These are the types of things they know. What that knowledge is that they're filled with, I would just summarize as a knowledge of the gospel, a knowledge of the good news of Jesus, that, that God sent for sinners like them and sinners like us, God sent a Savior to die for them, to suffer in their place, suffer in our place at the cross, suffer the wrath of God, so that it might be removed from us. And that he sent that same son that he uh, laid in the grave. He raised him up to never die again. Like, and that we can be joined with him. We can be one with God. We can uh, be united with the heavenly father because we have placed our trust in him. This is the type of knowledge that he says that they are filled with. And I would just want to pause and say to anyone in this room who doesn't yet have that knowledge. Maybe you've heard it before. Like maybe you know the facts of it. That, that is not what Paul is talking about, just the knowledge of the facts. He's talking about a knowledge, like a belief in it, a trust in it, a reliance upon it. And I want you to have that same knowledge today. Uh, not just factually that you can check a box, yep, I believe all that stuff. Yep, I learned that when I was a kid. But that you know it is true of you. Like that you were a rebel against God. You are a rebel against God like me. That Christ suffered for sinners like you. That he was raised for sinners like you and like me, right? And that he calls upon you not just to check the box of knowledge, but to rest your heart upon him. Rest your heart upon that promise of forgiveness that he offers through Jesus. That's the type of knowledge Paul knows they have and that I would long for you to have. A knowledge that moves beyond just head and rests your heart upon Christ. May that be true of you today. Because if you truly long to help other people, if that's a good intent of your heart, a desire of your heart, you can't truly help them until you have been helped. Right? You can't help bring healing to them and their problems until your deepest problem has been healed. 
right? And that can happen today. Uh, if you take God up on his promise, on his offer of forgiveness through Christ, that can happen today. That healing can begin in you, and then you will be given that spirit. You will be given that capacity to be able to help others. So as we think about the content of the gospel, uh, that is what we are to share. That's the core of what we're to counsel each other with. is isn't just random factoids or even just our own experience. Like, oh, I've been through that. Let me tell you what my story is like. That can be valuable. But the knowledge that we're to share with each other, that we're to counsel each other with, is the word of God. And so as we're talking in community groups and we're asking people to request counsel, we are talking about requesting counsel about more than just things like what stocks we should invest in, right? Or what fashion choices we should make, or what vehicles we should buy, or what we should feed our kids, or uh, those sorts of things. Like, you can talk about that stuff, that's fine, but that's not the point of community groups. The point of community groups is to talk about our souls And to have what we bring to bear on each other not just be our stories and our preferences and our recommendations, but the actual word of God. Because this is true. My advice could be right or wrong, right? But the truth of God's word is always true. And it will always bear fruit. It will always be profitable and helpful. Because Christian counsel, I would say this. Christian counsel, true Christian counsel is more, much more than just offering your own opinion, right? I think a a lot of groups in churches' lives, uh, in our culture at least, I don't know what it's like other places, what is true in a lot of groups, life groups, community groups, whatever we want to call them, is that a lot that passes as Christian counsel to each other is really just our baptized intuition, right? Well, like, this seems obvious to me, and I'm a Christian, so I'm going to say it, and I can't back that up remotely with Scripture at all, but it just feels right to me. That's what I've always thought. That's what my gut tells me, and I'm going to share that to you. And we, we think that's giving counsel. Like, and we're, we're void often of talking about the Bible at all. It's just kind of hovering over the surface, offering our stories, offering our instincts. But if you remember that text from Colossians 3 that I read, Paul said this. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he says, and with that, like be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom right? Like that the counsel we give to each other isn't just random and it's not just our experience. It is to be the word of Christ. It's to be the good news of Jesus. That's what we share with one another, right? Paul, the same man, he wrote so much that's helpful on this front of counseling. In 2 Timothy 3.16, he said that all scripture is breathed out by God and that it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. If we really want to teach and counsel and correct and reprove and help each other grow in godliness, we better be talking about the Bible, right? Like it should be uh, often on our tongues. It should be, they should be open. We should have ability to be able to speak words to each other from the scriptures, not just from the storehouse of our memories or experiences, but from the actual word of God. And so Christian counsel should be biblical, And it should also be centered on the gospel. It should be centered on the good news of Jesus because what could pass as biblical counsel sometimes would just be hammering people with commands. Just boom, you need to do this, sister. Like the text says this, go do it. Like, or brother, you're struggling with this. Uh, Just here's the text, boom, go do it. Command, 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 law, 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 law. That could be a way of trying to just be biblical. But the scripture is much more robust than just law. It's not less than that. Like we need to bring the commands of scripture to each other and call people to spur, we're spurring each other on in obedience, right? That's part of the core of what we're trying to do. But we're also trying to stir each other up in faith. Both of those things are important, right? And commands alone may press somebody to just run and run and run. But if you don't give them the grace of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he, he suffered for your failures, sister, 
And like he lived perfectly in that area where you're struggling so much. He's already lived righteously in that area for it to be counted to you. If you aren't reminding each other of that, then you're going to help each other just spin wheels and get nowhere. And you're just going to heap guilt and shame on each other. So we need to be, yes, giving biblical command and exhortation, but also giving the gospel again and again and again and again to one another for the right motivation. So just on a very practical level, if you want to be someone who offers godly counsel in the context of a community group or otherwise, you need to actually be spending time in the Bible yourself, right? Like how can you offer biblical counsel if you don't even ever read the Bible? You don't even know what it says. Like you've just been around church and you kind of know when something sounds right or know when it doesn't, but you have no idea why. Like, that's not healthy. Like, you need to actually know what the Bible says. You need to actually know what God has said, not just what feels right to you, right? You need to spend time actually in the Bible, marinating in it, letting it soak over you yourself. I appreciate an illustration uh, Thomas Watson, a Puritan, used. Uh, he talked about, apparently they even had like perfume stores back in his day. He talked about how if you go in a perfume store, this is my paraphrase of it, if you go in a perfume store and you spend some time in there, when you leave from that perfume store, guess what goes with you? The smell of the perfumes, right? And, and people know, oh, you've been in the perfume store. Uh, they, they just know it, right? And he, he used that as an illustration. Man, if we're spending time in and around the Bible, like we're, we're reading it, we're thinking on it, we're, we're meditating on it, uh, people are going to be able to tell that. It's going to inevitably come out in how we talk. It's going to come, come out in how we speak to people or how we address the issues that are going on in their heart. And you don't, hear me clearly on this. You don't need to have a Bible degree to be a counselor of fellow Christians, but you do need a Bible, right? Like you don't have to be some expert. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a missionary to be able to counsel one another. You don't have to be licensed as a therapist or as a psychologist or a counselor, but you do need the scriptures, like, they're the primary thing that we use to actually help each other. We need to know the Bible. So we're working on some things as a team to try as we recalibrate these groups to help us in this. We're working on making, like, a little handbook, for example, of just tons of Scripture passages related to various subjects that may come up in the life of a group. When somebody's sharing something about their heart, you could have, like, a shorthand field guide almost of, hey, these are helpful texts that I could maybe talk with this person about or recommend that they read. We can probably process together uh, but you have to make effort like just getting that tool alone is not going to all of a sudden make you a wonderful counselor uh, another illustration I heard this week was somebody was talking about just when you like walk through a cornfield like get some extra ears of, of corn to take back and give to somebody else like you have to actually spend time in the field you have to actually spend time reading the bible but as you do it try to like pray for and latch on to something you could then share with somebody like try to get in the habit of not just reading it for me, reading it for the immediate, but reading it for my friends, reading it for the community that I'm part of. Our brains, I say this as somebody, I think this is true of me. I don't know if it's true of you. I think for most younger people, it's certainly true. And I don't say this as an insult, but our brains have been trained to retain so little in today's world like, we don't even know our spouse's, like, uh, phone number sometimes. Like, we don't know our own fill-in-the-blank, whatever thing we just used to know automatically because we can Google everything, right? Like, we don't actually have stuff in here and in here. And that's not okay. Like, when, when we are dialoguing with someone, there's a million worse things you could do than bust out your phone and do a search on your Bible app for, like, anxious or something like that but we should try to become people who have a storehouse in here of things to be able to share things that we can actually just have at the ready to to come out and share with people but that takes effort like we need to meditate on the bible think on it roll it over in our head memorize it sometimes to get it into us i read a lot about something this week uh called 
conference. It's something that Puritans used to do. I was actually surprised I had never heard of this before, but hundreds of years ago, the Puritans, who have a bad rap today, they had what we use the term like spiritual disciplines or means of grace. Uh, They had one that they called conference. I was like, I've never heard of this. Uh, But conference for them was this idea. It could happen with two people. It could happen with five people. It could happen with a pastor with congregants or just with congregants at large. It could happen between just men or just women or, or vice versa, people of various ages. But the core of it was that they would just, they would get together and they would talk about their souls and they would talk about the scriptures. It was not rocket science, but they would ask questions of each other. And that whatever would come up, they would do their best. They didn't have to be some expert. They didn't have to be a teacher, but they would talk about the scriptures that they've been reading. They would talk about if somebody's dealing with something, they would try to bring scriptures to bear upon that person's life and and dialogue about it together. And I loved reading about it. It motivated me to, to think for our church, may we have these many conferences happening again and again, week after week, of these men and women who get together in our church. And I love this. This is the last quote I have. This is from a man named Edmund Staunton. He was an English clergyman, I think back around 1600. So you'll see even in how he spelled some things, uh, some old English. But I love this. He said, there's much, very much, of the wisdom and goodness of God in laying up rich treasures of knowledge and gracious experiences in the heads and hearts of some, not only for their own use, but for the guiding and leading of others also. I love that. He's just saying there's wisdom in God and how he arranged the world that part of what we need, part of what I need, part of what you need to grow in my Christian faith is stored up in other people. Like, it doesn't just come to me directly from God, but he's given texts, he's given experiences, he's given insights into these other people. He's given them even a heart for me, uh, that the way he's going to minister to me is through them. Like, it's a kindness of God, because it, it, bends, it uh, binds us together. It makes us like, have roots that are interdependent with each other and that, that feed each other. That's a kindness of God that he made us that way. But you are made that way. Like, you need other people to give counsel to you, and they need you, right? They need you to be at the ready to give counsel to them, ready to listen to them, ready to hear them, ready to speak truth in love to them as a fellow Christian. That will be part of how we stir each other up in faith, right, and spur each other on in obedience. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a closing song, and then I'll come back up and leave you with a couple quick announcements and a word of benediction. But let me pray for us, and then we'll sing once more together. God, thank you for creating us and building your church the way that you have, uh, that you have given us not just the gift of salvation and not even just the gift of yourself, but that you've given us the gift of each other. And as people who deeply need counsel, uh, we pray that you would provide it through the people of this church. Uh, And we pray that we would be providers of it to them, uh, that we might be a church that's marked um, by accepting and bearing the responsibility to counsel each other. And God, we're grateful for the gift of professional counselors and pastors and people who have special training. May we not neglect our responsibility and our calling to counsel one another. God, we're thankful for the gift of music and even the way that it counsels our hearts and the way that we counsel one another through it. We pray that that may happen even now as we sing. And we pray this in Christ's name.